Thank you for joining this week's uh, episode of the Inner Circle Podcast. Uh, my guest this week is uh, DJ Sampath of uh, Armor Blocks. So welcome, DJ. If you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and, 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 and a little bit about Armor Blocks, too. Sure. Well, thank you so much, Tony, for, uh, for having me uh, on the podcast. You know, super excited to be here and, uh, and, uh, and talk to you. And you know, looking forward to a really fun conversation um, you know, quick introduction to myself. Uh, you know, I'm a, uh, you know, uh, I mean, I'm your classic cliche immigrant, uh, you know, $800 in my pocket and dreams of conquering the world, uh, came to the United States, uh, and, uh, got a PhD in computer engineering from UC Santa Cruz, got a DARPA grant that funded my dissertation, uh, got a chance to work with, uh, with some of the best people, um, in, in the networking world, uh, spent some time at, uh, you know, at Bolt, Bernick, and Newman, uh, BBN Technologies, a defense contractor in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Worked, I did a little bit of work for DARPA DOD as part of the uh, as part of the grant, and um, and eventually moved back to Park Palo Alto Research Center because uh, I got tired of shoveling snow uh, <laughs> in Boston. Um, so yeah, I know came back to Park, sunny California. Uh, worked at Juniper Networks for a little while, um, the security business unit, and then uh, that sort of that was my first introduction to security. Uh, in, in a classic sense of how security is being applied to enterprises and um, and discovered that it was, uh, you know, the, the hackers and hoodies was sort of more of a, you know, overdrawn metaphor. And, um, you know, up, up until then, it was always, uh, you know, a thing of, um, uh, you know, fiction, uh, but got the opportunity to to learn how nation state hackers were working uh, and, and how enterprises were getting clobbered all the time and, and made that sort of my mission in the sense, you know, um, my next gig was, um, you know, at Deutsche Telekom Labs incubated uh, a startup, which eventually morphed into um, what's now called Stackrocks. I was a VP of engineering over there and, um, and, and pretty much was responsible for architecting uh, security solutions for, you know, for containers, you know, containers, which is the next wave in terms of the you know what we were seeing with infrastructure and um and through that journey you know learned a lot about um how enterprises uh, you know are are hurting uh, on a day-to-day -day basis which resulted in uh, me and anand and arjun and, and chetan joining hands and forming arma blocks so that's how i ended up becoming the uh, you know the ceo and co-founder of arma blocks it's a lot more than what you bargained for huh <laughs> Well, I mean, it's 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 good to have some uh, you know just some some sort of idea of the of of how do you get from point A to point B you know for for you, um, you know uh, to you know dig digress you know right off the bat. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the, a book that was published uh, earlier this year called Tribe of Hackers. Oh yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know they actually had the Tribe of Hackers uh, summit yesterday in Austin. Oh wow. Uh, 
And I, cool. I had a ticket, but I was unable to attend. I had a personal conflict. But but the thing that I love about Tribe of Hackers that that relates to you know all the background you just laid out is is how you know there's 70 people who contributed to the book who gave kind of their story and their background and and like you know their thoughts on do you need to have a, a you know a college degree to be in cybersecurity and those things. And I think it it was very it's very enlightening to see that there are you know 70 different ways to you know to become a cybersecurity professional there you know there are as many ways as there are people and that there's no like right path oh absolutely and you know, i couldn't agree more i think i, I think the book you know there, there's certainly you know, i've just read you know haven't had a chance to you know get through the book but i definitely saw it and i i noticed um you know uh, bruce potter and, and a bunch of other folks had actually weighed in on it um, you know, and, and I think there are like tips and tricks from, uh, you know, uh, folks that build Duo security and, and whatnot. Right. So, um, you know, I am part of like several hacker groups. Um, one of them uh, that I am part of at this point is Security Founders. And, uh, and a lot of the people that have managed to build some of these successful companies um, have, have, you know, w- you know, we talk about it. We talk about different things. Um, most of it is largely Chatham House rules. We don't talk about the details outside, but it's a free forum, uh, and, and as most hacker forums are, and uh, and you end up learning a ton, you know, and 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 you see people there from all walks of life, you know, and, and everybody's journey, you know, is incredibly unique, you know. Some of them have been at DefCon on day zero, from DefCon zero to DefCon one, you know, early hackers that have gone on to build very successful companies right now, um, and um, and have been part of different different hacking groups. Uh, we now have, you know, presidential candidates. Uh, that have been parts of hacker groups, as you might have seen, uh, you know, with uh, uh, you know, with with the candidate from Texas. So um, it's um, it's it's just you know the journeys are are fascinating, and I think I think more you know um, more uh, one of the things we're observing now is that more more of these hackers are now you know um, are mainstream folks. You know, the classic image of some of these people not being mainstream, you know, is is changing. You know, these are successful professionals who. Who just you know embody the spirit of you know questioning the status quo, and so um, you know it, it's really interesting you know, to to see uh, you know see the journeys. Yeah, and I've, I've, I mean I've, you know, I used to I worked with uh, uh, Chris Thomas at uh, Tenable Space Rogue. Uh, Chris uh, Weisovall is uh, over at, uh, at Veracode. Uh, yeah, so yeah, these these guys who were part of these you know hacker groups and sort of hacking collectives you know 20 years ago they're they're the they're the CTOs and CEOs now um, so sort of it, two two quick asides one is you know you mentioned uh, well you didn't mention it by name but you mentioned Beto and uh, I actually have a psychedelic warlord 2020 sticker on the back of my smartphone case no way <laughs> um, and, and actually on my laptop too so I've got because I, I they sent me like five of them so I've got psychedelic warlord stickers all over the place um, and not on purpose, but I just realized I'm actually wearing my Armor Blocks t-shirt. Oh, perfect. So, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I'm, awesome. I'm in full Armor Blocks mode. Um, hey, hashtag Armor Blocks forever. <laughs> so let's let's start there then. I mean, for, you know, because Armor Blocks is you know, relatively new. Not everyone uh, has necessarily uh, heard of it, although I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do my part to change that. But uh, let's uh, let's let's give a little bit of background on, you know, what. You know, when you guys formed Armor Blocks, what what was the what's the goal? 
Oh, absolutely, yeah, I, and and thank you for uh, you know uh, for doing your part and helping the, helping get the word out and for wearing the T-shirt. Uh, most importantly, um, so um, Armablocks really, you know, the way we kind of got started was, um, you know, uh, even before we we you know put any pen to paper, we we set out to talk to CIOs and CISOs. You know, we had over 300 plus conversations with you know uh, people that we got introduced to, people that were in our network, our friends. You know, both uh, on all sides of the spectrum. You know, um, those that were hackers, those that were, um, you know, with, uh, inside of the government, uh, inside of um, you know enterprises, inside of different organizations. Uh, we reached out to them and, and we asked them, "Hey, what is a pressing problem that that you that you're facing today?" And it was partly also to learn, uh, you know, if if we could build something that that solves you know a lot of problems for these folks. And um, and each one of them came back with uh, a completely different situation. Right? They said, "Hey, I've got a I've got an email phishing problem. I've got an insider threat problem. I've got I've got a DLP problem." And um, and we basically just listened. You know, we didn't you know we didn't actually influence where they were headed. We just listened and we said, "Okay, let's collect all of that data points." We came back, we put them all up on the board, and we said, "Okay, what is a commonly running theme across all of these things?" Because it's you know it's it's really 2017. That's when we started the company. It's 2017, and we're still hearing the same things that we heard you know 10, 15, 20 years ago. And and why 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 hasn't the needle moved in a in a meaningful fashion? And um, and and when we were asking that question, we had this at this moment of epiphany, which said, Hey, wait a minute. The common thing across a lot of these things right now is that. Um, you know, more than more than seventy percent of data that we're seeing there is is textual data. You know, whether it's in the form of emails or or Slack or SMS or you know documents, it was really textual data that dominated um, enterprises. And uh, and historically, security solutions have been pretty um, unintelligent about about textual data. Uh, they've always tried to turn that data into some form you know some form of a signature. It's either an MD5 sum or a SHA-256. And, and when you sort of do that, you lose a lot of entropy. You lose uh, the ability to reason about that data, and, uh, and and you build solutions on top that are very brittle. You know, you're looking for exact matches of specific things, and um, and then we we suddenly found ourselves at this point where we said, wait a minute, what if we could? You know, the, the hypothetical question that we asked ourselves was, what if we could actually reason about this data? Um, you know, where we don't have to look for a you know specific exact keyword match. But but you could say that hey you know one of this is a resume the other one is a patient record. How, what if you could tell the difference between those two types of documents? What if we could uh, you know as opposed to looking for specific keywords of patient illness information, say for instance um, you know uh, MS, which stands for multiple sclerosis. And in, in a previous life, I was asked uh, by by a healthcare provider to protect them from disclosing patient healthcare information to third party vendors. And, the, and one of the key things that, that's, that's always stuck in my head is, you know, they said, hey, you know, here's um, here, here are the list of illnesses, protect us from, you know, from leaking any of this data. MS stood out uh, because um, MS stood for multiple sclerosis. And when we put in a regular expression to protect that, we got tens of thousands of alerts from, uh, from the HR department where people were talking about, hey, uh, you know, um, it was a resume, it was a master's degree, or, or Microsoft, Windows expertise, and so on and so forth. So, um, and, and so, uh, classically, enterprise security solutions could not distinguish between these two. 
So, um, so when we ask that question, like, what if we could reason about it? Can we build something that that allows um, you know enterprise security folks and security teams to reason about data? Um, we got really excited, and uh, and we validated that with a lot of our customers, and then they came back and they said, well, if you could do that, that would make a meaningful difference for us. Agreed. Well, you know, and so that, that makes sense. And one of the, one of the things that it reminds me of a, a little bit is. Uh, kind of an, an evolution that's occurred in in many areas of technology, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna use gaming as the example. Yeah. Uh, you know, when when I was I'm, I'm gonna date myself some, but uh, you know, when I when I was a kid and first started getting into computers, you know, and I was playing uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and King's Quest, and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy stands out uh, in my in my memory because it took me like a week to get past the first command <laughs> because the first command had to be open your eyes. And, and that was, it was a very specific syntax is the point I'm getting at is that to play that game, it wasn't just that you had to, you know, it, it wasn't even good enough to know that, you know, you had to open your eyes and, and find some way to say that. Like there was a very specific phraseology that you had to follow. And I, I feel like, you know, when it comes to a lot of things um, like you know, doing searches online uh, or nowadays doing uh, queries with, you know, with Siri or with Alexa or whatever, that in the early stages, it's when it's more rudimentary um, or without the benefit of, uh, you know, sort of uh, machine learning algorithms and artificial intelligence, it can only consider and respond to the language you've pre-programmed it with. And and so it's it's similar to what you were talking about with only with looking for specific signatures and specific indicators of compromise like that that sort of phase 1 version is only capable of looking for the things that you've predefined for it to look for and 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 then there's an evolution where you need it to be able to have some more intelligence. You need it to be able to say okay, well he didn't say open your eyes, but he did say, you know, this, and that's kind of close. So we'll, we'll take it. Um, and, and, and so it sounds, you know, it seems like that's a lot uh, that, that it, at least in, in principle, it's a lot of what armor blocks is, is trying to do is to say, let's not, let's not force people to, you know, only look at this, this way. Let's, let's have a smarter way to look at this and, and, and be able to, and be able to, like you said, be able to say, oh, this MS is just saying Microsoft, this MS is the Masters of Science, and this MS is actually a patient record. Right, exactly. I mean, you're spot on. And uh, and it's funny that you should mention, um, you know, the, the Hitchhikers game. I've actually played that, you know, text-based games were, um, were, were, were obviously, you know, the, the first, you know, um, you know, sort of games that I played myself, and uh, that's how I got introduced to gaming in, in a, at the beginning. But but you're right. I mean, um, uh, it was 1984 when that game came out. I was probably about a year old, uh, or less than a year old. Uh, but I did get to play that same game. So yeah, um, you know, and I think uh, uh, it, it was really you, you hit it right on the head. You know, when you say you know go to the front garden, or you say you know go to the backyard. You know, the typical response that you would get from pre-programmed instructions is like, I don't know the word garden, or I don't know the word backyard. And um, and now what we have is basically a, a you know we we managed to get to a point where AI uh, and especially natural language understanding or NLU 
which is really the, the evolution of NLP, has evolved to a point where you can now um, reason about that data. When you say the word backyard, um, you know, um, there's there is a mechanism where it looks at a whole bunch of words uh, that are very similar in spirit, in meaning to backyard. You know, it's like back of the house, uh, you know, on the other side of the house and so on and so forth. So we now have the ability to say, hey, the distance between what you just said and the distance between all of the words that that are very close and meaning to it is, is reasonably close, so which means uh, we can now correlate all of this information and respond to you. So, so, so that type of, you know, and again, in, in the AI and ML world, they call these embeddings. It's like, you know, you're embedding, uh, you know, a specific word closest to all of the words that mean the same thing. And, and, uh, and, 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 and that has made, you know, th there's been a significant amount of progression in, in how we sort of learn from that. So, and, and let me uh, give you a quick sidebar over here the, you know, I like to call this sort of the, uh, the image net moment. Um, and, and so uh, about five or seven years ago, there was this whole concept of how you know, image recognition became really commoditized, you know, and, and the reason why this happened was because there's a ton of data that, that was available in the open source that, you know, uh, that some of the, uh, the bigger companies had managed to go ahead and put it into the public domain. That really made it easy for, for machines to start recognizing, um, you know, different types of objects, you know, uh, when, when they were presented as images. And so, you know, it's gotten, you know, so good that right now your iPhone unlocks itself using your uh, face ID. Uh, and that's how, uh, you know, uh, how much of progress has been made with respect to, you know, image recognition. Understanding textual data is going through that similar moment of renaissance right now. You know, using deep learning to be able to quickly understand the meaning of something, uh, you know, whether it's in chatbots or whether it's in, in smart home assistants and so on and so forth. Uh, the, the ability to, you know, bring machine comprehension into the technology stack is now reasonably commoditized. And so, so we are at a very, very exciting time, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the crossroads of how AI can really help, uh, you know, reason about you know, human communications. We, we're, we're definitely at that, that interesting inflection point. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it when you were, when you were going through that, and uh, I don't remember which which example you gave, it would spark this memory of mine. But uh, I was thinking, yeah, there's some there's some customer service people who could use some similar like uh, training or evolution because a lot of times I'll call and 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 they'll say, well, can I get your name? And I say, sure, it's Tony Bradley. And they'll like spend a couple minutes hemming and hawing and be like, hmm, no, hmm, uh, no, I don't see any Tony Bradleys. Uh, you know, I, I have an Anthony Bradley. I'm like. Okay, you can't put two and two together. <laughs> you can, like everyone knows Anthony and Tony are the same name. Like that's you know we're 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 good there. Um, no, I mean uh, to be honest, you know I think um, and I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, you know, um, one of the uh, Google's demos most recently about uh, about reservations. I think it was at the last Google I/O. They had a, a robot, uh, you know, person or an AI person on the other side uh, receive a call. Like a person made a phone call. The AI bot picked it up, yep. made a reservation for them. It was uh, it was scary good in terms of how that person responded. So yeah. you know, it's entirely possible that you know what you might have hit up on is a false positive. You know, you might have been actually talking to a robot that just couldn't make that connection. I'm just kidding. <laughs> actually, like then that Google thing, it was very good because uh, I remember it sparked some conversations about kind of the morals and ethics of those kinds of things. Like if you have a if you have an AI auto response you know that can that can that can interact verbally and it comes across as a human 
and if they if they do a good enough job that it becomes indistinguishable like is there an obligation on their end to let you know that you're talking to a robot right you know i think it, 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 you know it sparked a, a ton of debate in fact i'm sure you're aware of the the turing test right yes it's like it's exactly you know it, it, there was this whole conversation that, that 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 single demonstration you know popped in everybody's minds it's like you know what if i can't tell the difference between a real person and a and a, and a robot or an, or an ai on the other side of that uh, of the black box um, then this person is technically passing the Turing test, but uh, but you you know it's just like a game, right? If you go back to the Hitchhiker's Galaxy, so uh, you know Hitchhiker's Guide, you know that you know how almost every single game that, that we've played since then, we know how we always test the boundaries of the worlds that we are in, right? You know if you know either you're playing that or even if it's you know Wolfenstein or or, or more recently, you know if you're if you're playing you know uh, Road Rage or you know more modern MMORPGs, you realize very quickly that you know the boundaries of the world, and that's when you know that that's a game. And um, and and a lot of people try to like you know deconstruct that by providing massive worlds. So I think the thing with AI that that I feel is you know again you know touching upon some of the ethics and and, and responsibility in terms of disclosing. Uh, you're going to be able to realize that there, there are finite boundaries. And, and the way we're circumventing that finite boundaries is by providing human curation to be able to to augment that. Because machine intelligence always comes from you know what humans provided as, as inputs. Um, the reason why with textual data this is getting to a, a really interesting point is because it's leveraging a massive amount of human curated entities inside of Wikipedia. If you think about Wikipedia, yeah, you know, it's basically a single largest human curated store, um, you know, very similar to you know, a hitchhiker's computer, you know, where you go ahead and type, you know, something up and to get the, the answers for all questions in the world. Right. Um, it's it's a lot like that, because right now, um, if I were to receive, you know, say an email from from Target and I wanted to know what Target was. The best way to do this is to, to hit up Wikipedia and to say, hey, look, what is Target? Oh, Target is a retail organization. Uh, Target.com is a retail organization. Now I have the ability to, you know, use just the semantics in the English language to reason about it. But I also have augmented information from a, from a third-party source. Um, so, so it, you know, from an from an ethics perspective, it becomes really tricky at this point because you are now leveraging sources from from third-party things and and combining them to to make sense of some things. Um, and, and as you build these models across different organizations, you take it into you know, um, in Enterprise One, you move into Enterprise Two. How do you make sure that you know the data from Enterprise One doesn't go to Enterprise Two? You know, there's a lot of lot of innovation happening there to sort of make sure that you know there there the the right kind of walls built between these things and uh, and and making sure that the data that you're looking at to be able to construct these models are are, are ethically the, the right data sources. There are no biases inside of them, and. Uh, it, there are a lot of challenges there, so, um, yeah. so it's definitely interesting. So, two things. Like, so, so real quick. First, I was going to say, going kind of going back to the 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 beginning and the evolution of the you know going from rudimentary to natural language understanding. Um, that I feel like it's a little bit like in the beginning, there was one way to say it, and it was your job to have the the thesaurus at your disposal and then go through every other word, like you know, like you were talking about with garden. So you had to you know kind of go, okay, well. You know, is it is it a garden? Is it a yard? Is it a you know what you know? And 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 you you had to go through all the iterations to find the right one that matches the match the syntax of what the computer was expecting. And then as it evolves, 
now it's the computer. The computer has the, the thesaurus built in. So when you say that, when you say whatever you say, it just matches it up and goes, oh, well, you said yard, but we're going to assume you meant garden. Yeah. Right. I mean, uh, I mean, that's exactly, I mean, uh, that's, that's the, uh, you know, that's, that's a great analogy. I mean, that, that's really what's happening where you no longer have to have the, uh, you know, it, it's a thesaurus, but it's also a contextual thesaurus in some sense, right? It's, it's not just uh, you know what Oxford set out and, and put in the context of, of it because uh, a lot of times in specific context in vernacular when we're talking about things we're referring to things that that are that are constantly evolving right so um, you know um, in the context of a vacation when we're saying you know when, when you're talking about a trip uh, the the context is hey you know it's a trip where you're traveling somewhere and you're going back and forth but uh, if it turns out to be 420 and uh, and you're talking about a trip, it's a it's a very different trip altogether. <laughs> so um, being able to tell that difference is really, um, you know, is, is a new contextual ballgame. It's like, you know, that's sort of what NLU brings to the table, being able to, uh, you know, understand the context of communications and then pick the right bizarres based on that. It's like, hey, when you're talking about some of these things, here is a... Um, you know, here, here, here are the set of things that map to the context of this particular conversation. Right. Well, and so you also made uh, you, you mentioned um, the human curation aspect, which I, I think is it will, will play an important role. And, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, because you know, with machine learning, um, you know, it's not it's not just a magic solution. I mean, it's a very powerful solution, but it's having the right set of data with the right algorithm to get the right outcome. And if, if one of those, you know, if you ask the wrong questions or you have the wrong data or you have the wrong algorithm, you get entirely different output. And it's also possible to like, you know, poison the well, so, you know, and, 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 and mess with the, the input data so that you affect the outcome data. And like two, two examples that stand out to me when it comes to kind of machine learning uh, examples of uh, you know trying to do some sort of like uh, natural language processing. Um, one was the the, the Microsoft chatbot that they had to take offline because like the 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 four chan crowd of the world like intentionally yeah misinformed it <laughs> to, you know so that it ended up thinking that uh, it was like a you know thirteen year old girl who was a fan of Hitler. Uh, yeah. and, and the other is, and, and this isn't really the same thing, but the other is the, uh, the, the Facebook AI that they had that in, internally like invented its own language and they had to, you know, they, they, they didn't even understand what the AI was saying anymore, but the AI knew what it was saying. Right, right. No, I mean, you're spot on. I think, you know, the in, and, and there's one more example before I dive into some of those explanations. One of the more recent, uh, publications talked about how, um, some some school in Belgium, a uh, university in Belgium, had actually put out a specific pattern. It was almost like a a, um, a printed pattern that you could hang off of your neck, um, and uh, you would automatically become invisible to any cameras that are doing automatic detection. It wouldn't even recognize you as a person. You could just now walk in and out of like any camera that's sort of like you know trying to use AI to be able to detect you. And, uh, and 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 they came up with a similar thing where you could put a small sticker on a stop sign, yep. and the self-driving cars wouldn't be able to tell the difference. You know, wouldn't be able to recognize it as a stop sign. So, um, so so there's there's definitely you know we're you know we're entering that brand new world, right? Where the more complex some of your systems become, where, where you're now you know uh, using AI to be able to automatically make some determination, 
your your inputs become a lot more important. Being able to validate those inputs become really crucial. And uh, to your point about poisoning those inputs, it's it's important now. You know, classically, security researchers have always looked at you know um, they, they think about uh, you know. Um, what what does the uh, the attack surface look like? You know they they always build a threat model around a specific surface, and um, and that threat modeling in the AI age looks fundamentally different because you're no longer looking for those classical signals. You're looking for brand new signals, and 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 it's it becomes really crucial to evolve that threat model. Now when we are looking at you know very simply when we're looking at emails, emails are no longer showing up with an attachment with a malicious attachment. Or with with a with an obvious phishing link, or a Nigerian prince asking you for you know for for a million dollars, uh, or wanting to send you a million dollars, it now manifests itself as a very simple email that says, "Hey, are you at your desk? Uh, can you respond to this email?" And as soon as you respond, uh, your response is now being crafted to be able to you know to send a, an email to the rest of the people inside of your organization. And all of these are not happening. You know, it, these are not hackers and hoodies. These are Machine-generated emails that automatically go out and do these things for you. So, so, so from a poisoning the input, you know, it, it's important to like build, you know, uh, the right sort of uh, models to make sure your AI algorithms behave a specific way. But it also becomes important to start building those those negative samples that can potentially corrupt those AI models. And that's how you're building the new, uh, you know, the new age threat models. You know, you're like, here's my threat model for this. You know, if I'm using, you know. Um, a GAN, a generative model, or if I'm using an RNN or a CNN, I need to make sure that we're constantly testing those models against these kinds of inputs so that they don't fail in a catastrophic fashion. Right. So let's let's pull this back uh, and 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 focus uh, more specifically on on armor blocks and less on the philosophical uh, discussion of of AI and and natural language processing itself. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, you know, and I think, you know, when you and I first spoke, uh, you know, many months ago, um, one of the things that, that, you know, stands out to me and that I, that I like about what Armor Blocks is doing is uh, that, you know, like I, I, I always use the anecdote, tell the story of, you know, there, there was a period of time where I, I, I didn't run any antivirus on my computer at all. And still manage to not get compromised. And then, you know, there's my mother-in-law who might have two, three, four different antivirus and security, you know, programs running on her PC at any given time, and still manages to get like all of the viruses. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, trying to figure out, okay, well, you know, what's the difference there? And the difference is, I know, you know, I, I you know, like I, I understand indicators of compromise. I understand what looks suspicious and what looks like a threat. And I just don't click on the links and I don't open the attachments. And so I don't fall victim to those things. Whereas someone who isn't, uh, you know, a cybersecurity professional or whatever, doesn't have that base of knowledge. And, and the security products themselves, because they're relying on signatures and, and, and only are only really good at detecting already known threats, uh, don't do a great job against emerging threats. Um, and so, you know, you need, you know, a lot of people uh, need some layer of software that can sort of act as the cybersecurity professional, that can, that can be the artificial intelligence cybersecurity professional that says, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to tell you right now, that's not good. Don't do that. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and so, 
you know that so so and that 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 to me is kind of where where armor blocks comes in to to kind of sit there and help kind of protect an organization um uh you know f from its own <laughs> from its own people <laughs> um yeah. and you know and so i know that you know like you know protecting the human layer is is, is a tagline or you know, is it is it protecting the human layer or protecting against the human layer um <laughs> that's a that's a good existential debate but i think you know we are we're focused on you know protecting the human layer uh, our tagline is security powered by understanding you know we want to bring understanding to to all aspects of security so what are you seeing right now like with with customers out there in the field out there in the market like what how how is how is armor blocks working what kind of response are you getting you know how how is how is it working yeah, yeah, great question. And I think, and I completely agree with, with how you, you know, you position it and how you're thinking about armor blocks. You know, uh, we've had some amazing engagements with our customers and, uh, and, and these are, you know, and again, uh, you know, for a startup that's as young as us, you know, it, it's really crucial for us to have those successful engagements with our customers and, uh, and, and CIOs and CISOs who actually carve that time out to talk to us we're very grateful because you know um, they're they're really busy. They're getting hammered by you know uh, a million other issues at, at any given point. Uh, and so we try our best to make sure that when we engage with them, we're able to instantly show our value to them. You know, um, you know, to that end, we make sure that you know from from onboarding all the way to like you know showing value. We 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 literally run this as a as a pit crew at, at a Formula One pit stop. You know. Uh, we, we start on our timers when we start the onboarding. We try to say, hey, within in under 10 minutes, we got to show value. We got to finish the onboarding in 10 minutes and, uh, and make sure that it's painless for our customers. And we've been able to successfully achieve that. And, and, and then the next step, what we try and do is we make sure that, you know, we're constantly providing them not just, you know, um, vendor support just before we sell some product to them. But, you know, we, we want our customers to believe that we are, you know, one of their trusted um, you know, team members where we can help them. You know, um, you know, understand what our AI and machine learning is constantly doing, and uh, to that end, we've had you know a significant amount of success in being able to you know pull out needles from from you know lots of haystacks, and um, we have been able to successfully stop uh, you know um, attacks which are you know, which are extortion based ones, which say, hey, listen, um, I know that you've done this thing, and um, I need I need money from you all the way to like. Um, you know, people pretending to be the CEOs, uh, you know, emails coming into executive assistants or, or operating professionals that say, hey, listen, uh, this invoice needs to get paid right now because, you know, um, the due date was yesterday. It's now late. Please pay this as soon as possible. But that email uh, comes from uh, a CEO with one of those alphabets sort of, you know, changed. So uh, somebody that's looking at it on the mobile phone doesn't even recognize that that's actually not from the CEO. Um, so we have been successfully able to uh, look into the contents of the email, recognize that there's an ask, you know, there's a call to action, there's a semantic reference that says, you know, you know, we use different techniques to, to extract all of that stuff from that email and then correlate that and say, hey, listen, this seems suspicious. And, and, and we add a label on that email that says maybe you shouldn't click on this. You know, it, it instantly says Armor Blocks has, has marked this email as suspicious. Um, and, uh, and that increases human caution, right? And, um, and, and, and again, you know, we've had tremendous success in, in being able to demonstrate, you know, not just the, the attacks from the outside in, but being able to, you know, um, inform people 
when they are sending out confidential information in response to some of these things, or you know, inadvertently putting a you know a different recipient when they're sending out an information that's not supposed to be sent out, we look at that content and we say, hey, are you sure you want to do this? Looks like this might be a mistake, and give them the reason why we think so. And uh, and this is really a game changer, right? Uh, and, and to your point about protecting protecting the human layer um, or, or protecting from the human layer, uh, we want to be able to recognize that human beings, um, you know, and, and people are doing uh, a lot of different things. And um, in 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 a in, in modern day, their their attention span is you know um, severely constrained. And and being able to tell them, you know, warn them just at the appropriate time can really make all the difference between uh, between an attack or you know an attack infested computer or uh, you know, or something where you know you literally have a security professional standing right next to you and telling you, nope, don't click on that. You know, sort of mimicking and and, and simulating that. So, uh, so, so we're definitely finding you know some really interesting things, and we're helping our customers you know uh, move the needle when it comes to um, you know changing the security posture. Yeah, well, you know, as like you know, when it, you, you, the thing you just talked about with the you know giving people. You know, just that little bit of caution uh, at the right moment. Um, you know, to go back to my to my anecdote between you know me and my mother-in-law, um, I think that we in cybersecurity do often fall into the trap of just assuming that the things that we that we know and understand are just common sense. Like it seems right. like it to me. Uh, you know, so it's like I I know what I know, and so I I can't really understand. Well, why can't you see that and know that that's 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 a problem and that's suspicious and not click on that. So, um, you know, it, you, that, that's why you need that, that AI there to, to kind of do that. Um, two, two things that you, you talked about in there that, uh, I, I think are, uh, I want to, I want to dig into a little bit more our, our, our recent attacks, um, recent, uh, headline uh, type attacks. One was, uh, you talked about the the extortion one, and so yeah, that was a thing. I haven't seen it recently, but you know, over over the first few months of this year, uh, you know, people getting the email that was like, "Hey, we know you were looking at porn, and you know, we're going to send out all your stuff to the world if you don't, uh, you know, if you don't pay this ransom." Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the you know. It, it, Hopefully, someone would just see that and say, "Oh, yeah, that's not that's not true," uh, or, or, you know, that I don't, you know, I know that this is, you know, this is just a phishing attack or whatever, a ransom attack, and I'm I'm not going to do that. Um, the the challenge for I think for a company is when someone has done something, you know, maybe they did look at a site they shouldn't have while they were at work, they think that it's legitimate. And they fall for the extortion and don't ever tell anyone about it. Um, and you know, so then it becomes kind of an in, insider threat sort of attack. Um, and then the other thing you talked about with uh, being able to recognize, like if someone says, you know, hey, I'm the CEO, you should pay this invoice. Um, I'm not sure if he used that trick specifically, but there was a story like just a month ago about a guy who uh, I think he was just sentenced, but he he had made like millions of dollars off of Google and Facebook by just sending them invoices. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, yes, about uh, north of one hundred and twenty million dollars was uh, was was extracted successfully. And uh, now, I mean, this is a this is a huge problem, and and this is this is why we know. Um, in fact, one of my friends who does work for the FBI was was, was mentioning that 
you know, um, at this point, the officially disclosed numbers are north of about $15 billion lost in email initiated scams. Uh, but the comment was that it was, you know, an order of magnitude higher than that goes unreported because a lot of these companies don't want to disclose some of the uh, some of the attacks where they've been, um, you know, where, where they have been compromised. Uh, you know, they're they're not comfortable disclosing it, and that's part of the reason why that's that's you know lower. The publicly disclosed stat is lower. So um, I'm not, you know, when I did see the uh, the Facebook and Google credential, you know, uh, in a Google attack where you know somebody had actually used invoice fraud to extract cash out. I wasn't surprised at all because uh, you know we hear that from customers all the time. To be honest, we we go, we get our mutual NDA signed, and we have conversations about it, and we learn that this is actually you know happening across the board, and um, and it's really hard to detect it because it, it shows up as a, a reasonably legitimate invoice. It shows up with the you know the right information, with just the bank account information changed, and um, and sometimes an email even shows up from. Uh, you know what seems like a, a legitimate domain. Sometimes you're doing business with people on a, on a Gmail account, and so it's really hard to just do you know domain-based lookups. You know because a lot of people are using the public infrastructure, uh, email infrastructure providers to be able to send out and do business. So um, so it gets really challenging to be able to you know for for a human being that's you know when they're when, when we're looking at things, we're looking at multiple different things, and we see hey wait a minute um this invoice looks legitimate i'm going to respond to it and say yeah okay we'll make this payment and then somebody else takes that email and makes that payment based on what they see in the mail thread you know it's, it's all about the workflows that happen inside of businesses and um and in a company that's as large as google or facebook you know it, it, there are multiple people involved in, in an approval process now you know sometimes that that adds to the security uh but and sometimes it doesn't because you know if it's a, if it's a small invoice for for forty thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars and that they have a cap that's at 65, 70, or 100K, you know, uh, it's not going to go through a very stringent approval process for some of these big companies because that's not you know, a dollar amount that's going to move right. the needle. But over a period of time, now you're suddenly looking at hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, being lost. And um, and, and a lot of it, and a lot of times, here's what happens, right? It's it's not just um, you know, not just you know, money or invoice. A lot of times, it's it's critical information. You know, it's PII. You know. Or uh, you know important information about W2s going out. You know this was uh, this again happened a little while ago where where more than uh, you know tens of thousands of W2s were actually shipped to somebody in the Eastern Europe uh, because it was an, another simple email ask. And uh, and the best part was they didn't have to do any complex attack. They just said they asked for it. They're like, hey, can I please have your W2s? We're doing some accounting stuff and we need all these W2s, pretending to be a law firm, and then bam, it was sent out. So um, you know, it's not always just dollars, but it's it's you know, it's credentials, it's confidential information from inside of the companies, and uh, and, and a lot of those things make its way out, you know, uh, on the outbound side, and uh, and being able to reason about that and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, this data has never been sent to this person. Are you sure you want to send this? Just adding to that, you know, you know, can really make a make a difference. Absolutely. Um, so. Uh, semi-humorous aside about the Google and Facebook thing, like my initial take, and I think the initial take of a lot of people who do freelance work for, for some of these companies was, I can't get legitimate invoices paid. <laughs> <laughs> How is this guy getting fake, fake invoices paid? Um, and, and then the, the flip side of that being, uh, you know, you, you, you talk, you mentioned, uh, you know, sometimes you just have different people in the in the department and one person might say, oh yeah, don't pay that. And then the next person just sees it and goes, oh yeah, I'm gonna you know, click a button and pay that. Right. That actually happened to me uh, like six months ago where 
I had sent an invoice to a client for work we were going to do. And my point of contact responded to me and said, hey, you know what? You know, we got some, some different marketing initiatives. We're doing some different stuff. Uh, we're not going to be able to do this right now. And I just said, all right, that's fine. You know, I'll, I'll follow up with you in like six months. And then fast forward a month, money just shows up in my account. <laughs> and I call him up and I'm like, did something change on your end? And he's like, well, no, but yeah, somebody, somebody in accountant in accounting had gotten the invoice and just paid it, even though he, he just got done telling me there was no budget to pay it. Um, and you know, and we ended up just doing the work. <laughs> he was like, he was like, well, you've already got the money. It'll do the work. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I completely understand that, you know, and, and, and the bigger the company, the, the harder it is to, to be able to detect workflows. You know, one of the things we do, you know, at Armablocks is we, we track those things. We, we recognize, you know, from an InfoSec you know, perspective, uh, a lot of times it, it's funny how the CISOs, um, you know, end up getting uh, a lot of things rolled into them, right? It's, uh, it's not just necessarily looking at vulnerabilities in, the, in, the, in, the, in their infrastructure. But you know, all the way from like managing fraud, managing risk to like some, you know, even physical security, you know, of the building of, of the infrastructure, all of them, all of all of those pieces and portfolios roll into the CISO, making it really challenging for the CISO to sort of come up with tools and, and techniques and processes in place. So um, you know, it, it, you know, a lot of times some of these things, you know, show up on their radar, and um, and we've been able to successfully show them, hey, listen, you know, there's a workflow inside of your organization, a payment a payment workflow or an invoice workflow that happens, and uh, and we sort of try and light that up, you know, and show, you know, throw some light into it, and uh, and and it's really, you know, um, it's interesting and fascinating when they when they start seeing that they forget about our product. You know, they're not thinking about armor blocks at that point. They're thinking about their lives. They're like, wait a minute. Oh, that's how we do those payments. I've always wondered how that happens. And uh, <laughs> we're, you know, it's fascinating how, you know, emails and documents and in Slack and in human communications that are inside of enterprises are largely, you know, so largely textual that, that you forget that, you know, there, there are those kinds of patterns that emerge inside, uh, you know, emerging patterns that, that are there inside of the enterprises. So, um, so yeah, you know, uh, if, if armor blocks have been running at that client of yours, uh, it might have gone ahead and said, wait a minute, you know, I see a message that says well, we're not going to pay Tony. And, uh, and somebody's actually uh, about to send him an email saying, hey, we paid your invoice. Uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know if you would have been a fan of that at that point. But, uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, you know, so like, you know, one, one, another way to look at kind of what what armor blocks is, you know, brings to the table or provides for an organization is that it is helping to eliminate a lot of the you know kind of entry level issues that that you know it could become much bigger issues like you know what you know depending on what what data you share or, or what you know what what happens uh, you know when you click on that link that you shouldn't click on I mean it could become a much bigger issue but ultimately it's like now now the IT security people, Hopefully, it raises the bar some for the things that actually happen and lets them focus on bigger issues. You know, so it's like it kind of it kind of augments the security team in a way by by you know hopefully taking care of a lot of the common things so that the issues that do arise are bigger deals. Oh, absolutely, yes. I mean, that's you know that's part of what machines should be doing. Right. I mean, if you think about it, uh, in a classical evolution of machines, uh, you know, uh, largely they they were meant to enable 
um, you know, human, you know, people like us and humans, right? Like, you know, we move from using, uh, you know, our legs for locomotion to, to bicycles, which made it faster. Uh, we recognized that horses were helping us get somewhere faster, but then, hey, we said, what if we could do that with machines? And we built, you know, vehicles to do that for us. Um, and, and again, I, I like to always talk about punch cards. You know, everybody groans over here when I say punch cards because they know that I'm about to get into a lecture. Uh, but but punch cards, if you think about it, were the classic ways of uh, you know the, the ways of making census go a lot faster, right? People were doing you know were were going door to door, uh, doing the census, trying to understand how many people live inside of the homes and whatnot. And and that was not as I mean that was time consuming. And um, and typically, you know, if they wanted to complete the census in 10 years, the, the amount of time it took to wrap up a, a successful census was, you know, 12 or 14 sometimes. So which meant that, it, you know, you would never, ever have an accurate census done in time. And um, and that's where International Business Machines or IBM came along and said, hey, we could speed up the, the final tallying up process by using punch cards. They made it easy to complete a census on time. And, uh, and since then, you've always had machines sort of come along and help you. Um, you know, uh, increase your productivity or help you get things done faster. That's always been the nature of the evolution of machines to the, you know, to the modern age where AI is meant to do that for you. You know, whether it's self-driving cars that, that allow you to take your eyes off the road so that, you know, uh, machines can drive the car and, and, and hopefully and arguably um, in a safer way than, than, than human beings can because, Hey, take a look at you know airplanes. They've been uh, they've been driven by machines for such a long time, you know, in terms of autopilots, and um, and it's definitely made the skies a lot safer and reduced you know pilot fatigue. Uh, we sort of see that in the same way where AI and security can fundamentally help the security professionals have a lot less fatigue, a lot less burnout, and and, and help them focus on things that they really need to be focusing on, and uh, and that's sort of what it ends up doing, you know, for the security team. It provides them. In fact, you know, I like to call AI, a lot of times I like to disambiguate and say AI is really assistive intelligence. It's not so much artificial intelligence. It's not, you know, uh, the Terminator walking in saying hasta la vista. It's really uh, a clippy on steroids, which says, hey, how can I help you? And provides you with some of the answers that you need rather quickly. But hopefully, hopefully a little less cartoonish than clippy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, somewhere in between, you know, maybe with a mask. You know, uh, maybe with a mask and a purple background and, uh, you know, uh, which is our logo. So, uh, yeah. So, all right. Well, I think that that uh, is you know, a great conversation. And like I said, I, I, I'm a fan. Uh, I, I, I like what you guys are doing. Um, I think that uh, I think there's a, a tremendous amount of potential there. Um, and... Uh, uh, you know, I, I won't name names, but other people I've talked to think there's a tremendous amount of potential in, in armor blocks. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, continuing to, uh, you know, work with you guys and continuing to see how, 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 how the company evolves. And, and, and I, I assume other companies will, uh, enter the fold as well. I mean, you know, it's like right now I feel like armor blocks is kind of alone, but you know, that, 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 that can't last. <laughs> somebody's going to come along and try to do the same thing. Um, That's perfect. That's perfect. You know, uh, in, a, in, a, in an open market, the, the best situation is when we have competition, right? It, it ultimately makes the product better for our customers is, uh, is when we have competition, you know, uh, you know, uh, but we would definitely like to be in pole position. You know, we would be the, the first ones out the gate and, uh, and uh, hopefully we have built a big enough moat. Uh, so, you know, so we can run hard and run fast. 
and again, Tony, thanks again for uh, for having me as part of your podcast. Uh, this is uh, was a it was a pleasure and a blast talking to you. All right, thank you. Take care. Take care. Thanks. Bye. I appreciate you investing your time to listen to the podcast, but I also invite you to engage on social media. Uh, please go like our Facebook page and follow at Techspective on Twitter and Instagram. You can feel free to let me know what you like, let me know what you don't like, let me know if you love it, let me know if it sucks, and uh, let me know what products you'd like to see reviewed or what uh, questions you'd like to see answered in future posts.